out there. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin to read at verse 5. I'm going to read two sections of this chapter. Starting in verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, certain priests named Zacharias, of the course of Abia or Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they were now, both were now well stricken in years. They were quite aged. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot or his responsibility was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And skipping down to verse 57 the same chapter it says now elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her and it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they called him zacharias after the name of his father and his mother answered and said not so but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred or nobody in your family that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. The help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to teach or preach from this title in the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence that's here. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We know it's alive. We know it's powerful. Lord, we know that if we will have a hungry heart, that it will speak to us. So, Lord, we ask you for your anointing today on this vessel, Lord, that delivers your word and on the hearts that receive it, we pray. We, Lord, we lift up those that aren't well, can't be with us this morning, Lord, Sister Jolena, Sister Vanessa, any others that aren't able to be here because of illness, Lord, and we ask you to touch their bodies. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This baby boy, Luke chapter 1, who would be named John, would grow up to become the one that history refers to as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He was the cousin of Jesus and his ministry, the purpose that he was born really was to prepare the way for the Lord. He came preaching a message of repentance. And if you're not familiar with that word, it means that it includes a regret for sinful life and practices and a turning away from sin and a sincere desire to change. 
His parents were too old to have children. Having previously been unable to have any because Elizabeth was barren, And yet the Lord chose to miraculously give them a son, even going as far as to tell them what his name would be. And if you read the verses in between the two passages we read, we didn't read them all because Luke 1 is a very long chapter. But you'll find that as a part of Zacharias coming to terms with the message from the angel, a sign that he received that this was from God was that he would not be able to speak until the child was born. And so we know that's why when we read in that scripture, when they tried to get their, his opinion on the name of the child, he asked for a, a writing tablet, not an iPad, but a writing tablet. And he wrote his name is to be called John. And so when his relatives gathered together for the very special occasion on the eighth day of this boy's life to circumcise him, which was required by the law of Moses, they all assumed that his name would be Zacharias because that was his father's name. But his parents insisted that his name was to be John, and everybody was amazed because nobody in the family had that name. And as was the custom of the Jews, and is still the custom in many cultures today, children's names are often taken from a family member. Some customs have a very set pattern for how that works. Others, it might be a favorite uncle or a or a parent that's passed away or, or somebody in the family that has particular significance and that name is chosen, but nobody in Zacharias's family tree was named John. And so everybody was surprised. When the Jewish son was born, they were not given their name until circumcision, which took place on the eighth day. They were specifically given that day in their instruction. And immediately, when you look into the Jewish practices and their culture and their traditions, immediately after the act of circumcision... Somebody involved in that ceremony could be, have been the father, not necessarily, might have been another significant family member. As soon as the act of circumcision took place, that person would pray a prayer of blessing over that child's life. And as a part of that prayer, they would use that child's name for the first time. They would say that child's name as they prayed. And the Jews would always use a, a, the name in a particular format. They would say it a particular way. And in this particular situation, when somebody prayed that prayer of blessing, they would have prayed for that child as John Bar Zacharias. John Bar Zacharias. Understanding that some of you do, but some of you may not, that that little word in the middle, Bar, B-A-R, meant son of. So it was John Bar Zacharias or John the son of Zacharias. Uh, In Matthew chapter 16, it's not on the slides, but as an example, Jesus refers to Simon Peter as Simon Bar-Jonah, meaning Simon, son of Jonah. Now, my name is Simon. My dad's name is not Jonah, but my mother's called me Bar-Jonah all my life, which I'm guessing is a reference to that verse in in Matthew chapter 16. Still calls me Bar-Jonah sometimes. But she should be calling me Bar-David because that's my dad's name. But within our own congregation, if you think about the fathers and sons that were here, let's, let's take Brother Grant, for example, when if he was a Jew, Benjamin's a good Jewish name, Grant maybe not so much, but they would have prayed and said that the child's name was Grant, sorry, Benjamin Bar Grant. That's, that's the, they would use that format every single time. And the question is, why was that important? Why was it connected? What is the connection with circumcision? For the Jews, 
your family was always traced through the men of the family. Now, that might not fit in our society too well today, but it was through the men that the family name was preserved. We understand something similar to that happens in our society today. I am one of two children. I have a younger sister, Jody. Some of you have met her. Now, when my wife and I got married, Sister Katerina took my name as her family name. So her name is now Katerina Butcher. So our children carry my family name, not hers. But when my sister got married, she took on her husband's family name. And so her son carries his family name, not his mother's. And so families, that's a simple way to explain it, families were traced through their fathers and sons as the family names were preserved. But for the Jews, it was so much more than simply a name. Than simply a name. Because knowing who your father was meant knowing who his father was and knowing who his father's father was and so on and so on and so on. That lineage was so very important because it meant that they were able to trace their identity back and to have proof that their family came out of one of the 12 tribes of Israel and that you were a direct descendant of Abraham. Some of you have possibly spent some time looking into your ancestry. It's it's a popular thing to do nowadays. There are a lot of websites where you can sign up and there's documents and all kinds of research that you you can track your family back however far you want to go. The problem with that is sometimes people don't like what they find out. You know, you go back 100 years and you find out that you were a direct descendant of some famous criminal. And so you give up that practice very quickly and pretend that that's not really how it was. But for the Jews, it was not simply a matter of national pride or ethnic identity, although the Jews certainly let it become that as time went on and that became a problem for them. But you see, their connection with Abraham mattered because Abraham had a covenant with God. A covenant is a binding agreement. Today, the word that we would probably be more familiar with is a contract. When you purchase something significant, where you enter into a financial agreement, probably the most common example is when you buy a house. When you buy a house, you sign a contract. And it is wise to read all those tiny little lines of print on that contract because when you sign it and the, and the person selling the house signs it, you enter into a binding agreement where both parties are required to keep the obligations of the contract. And so Abraham had a covenant or a binding agreement or a contract with God and a part of that covenant included his descendants. Everybody that would come from his natural lineage. And so if you could prove that you were a descendant of Abraham, you could then claim the benefits of the covenant and the promises that God made to Abraham. So that's why the Jews, when they circumcised the child, they didn't just say, we're going to call him Fred. And it was always so-and-so, the son of so-and-so understanding that that process also took place when that father was born and his father before him was born and they were able to track their lineage all the way back to Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to turn there with me, it's going to be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to read a few verses. Genesis 17, excuse me, starting to read at verse 1. It says, And when Abram... Now, Abram 
for those of you that don't know, was Abraham's name before God changed his name to Abraham. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99 years old. Any 99-year-olds in the building? No, we don't have any. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant, remember that word covenant, between me and thee, between the two of us, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Remembering that at this point he's 99 years old, and he and his wife have not been able to have a child. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed, or thy descendants, after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God is promising a physical blessing, a physical inheritance as a part of this covenant. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. Remembering what we read from Luke chapter 1. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt or between me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Remember, we saw that John was circumcised on the eighth day. Every man-child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. So basically all of the males that he was responsible for had to come under this covenant. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. I want you to pay attention to verse 14 with me. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. There's a lot in this passage. But as a part of the covenant that God makes with Abraham, God changes Abram's name to Abram, Abraham. Now, Abram meant higher exalted father. Abraham means the father of a great multitude. God has the ability to call things that aren't as though they are. Speaking to a 99-year-old man who he and his wife have no kids, saying you're going to be the father of a multitude. To natural thinking, that's foolishness. That's, that's almost ridicule. It's almost making fun of this old man because he didn't have a son with his wife. But the Lord knew what was going to happen. Now, in Genesis chapter 17, the word covenant appears 13 times. Very strong emphasis on this agreement that God is making with Abraham. And in fact, of those 13, seven times the Lord calls it my covenant. He personifies it. He says, this is my covenant. This is not just any covenant. I didn't download this. I didn't have somebody draft it for me. He said, this is my covenant. This belongs to me. Now, if a covenant is an agreement or a contract between people, like when you buy that house, 
there's a mutual agreement. Both parties agree to the terms. You know, you make an offer for the house, they counter-offer, you make another offer, you, they know how much they want to get, you know how much you want to spend, and usually what happens is you end up in between the two somewhere. There's give and take when people enter into a covenant. But between God and man, there are no discussions. There are no negotiations. You don't sit across the table from God and say, well, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. And if you'll give me this that I want, then I'll give you that that I want. God, as it were, holds all the power in the, in the arrangement. There's really not a whole lot that we bring to the table. When you enter into a covenant with God, said it was my covenant. He said it's mine. In Exodus chapter 19 and 5, to, to underline this idea, the Lord speaking to the people of Israel, He said, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So the people that would keep the covenant of the Lord, which included obeying His voice, would become a peculiar treasure. Or in other words, there would be something special and precious that was like nothing else. And so God spoke to Abraham and told him that the circumcision of every male child, again, those that would preserve the family name, was the token or the seal or the mark of this new covenant that God had made with him. Now, we use the word token in our everyday language a bit lightly. When, if we say something's a token gesture, it we, we, doesn't have a lot of weight. But this token to the Lord was not something light-hearted. It was something that actually carried a lot of weight because the Lord went as far as to say in the last verse we read, in verse 14, that if they did not have this token in place, if the male children were not circumcised, then that failure would actually break the covenant and they would be cut off. All of the promises, all of the benefits, all of the blessings, everything in the covenant was cancelled because they did not do what the Lord told them to do. And so that is why in the nation of Israel, when a male child was born, such as John the Baptist, it was very important that he was circumcised and named on the eighth day. Because that procedure provided a connection with his natural heritage, going back to Abraham, and it also provided a connection with a supernatural covenant with God himself. It was so much more than just a cultural tradition. And we have to understand that. Abraham was a man whose walk with God was based on two very important things that are a part of everybody's walk with God, and that's faith and obedience. He was an outstanding example of how you cannot have one without the other. Abraham obeyed God by acting. When God said, he did. When God led, he went. That was how his faith was demonstrated. He wasn't earning things with God. He wasn't saying, well, God, I'm going to earn this many brownie points and you'll accept me. But when God said something, he believed it. And because he believed it, he did what he was told to do. Amen. So much so that in the New Testament, Abraham is referred to as the father of those who live by faith and a friend of God. Amen. You want to have, I don't care who's on your friend list on social media, if God's not your friend, the rest don't matter. Abraham was a friend of God. Amen. But the prophet Jeremiah told us that there would be something that would come in the future. Prophets telling us in this situation about something yet to happen. In Jeremiah 31, 
verses 31 to 33, the prophet writes and says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Here's a new contract with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant, they broke it. They didn't keep my law. Although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. So this is more than just gone through motions. There's something happening within us and will be their God and they shall be my people. So Jesus, when we get to the New Testament, began with Israel. He came unto his own, John chapter 1 tells us, and his own received him not, which was really, it was kind of the, the final step of God turning his back on Israel as a nation, not as individual people, but as a nation. Because the, ver- the next verse says that to as many as received him, so his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's you and me. We have the opportunity, if we will receive him, he gives us the opportunity and the power that is required to become his children, to, for him to become our heavenly father. Amen. And you and I are living in the time of the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about. But we are not Jews. We are not Jews. I cannot, at least to the best of my knowledge, trace my heritage to Abraham. I know my grandfather's names on both sides, and that's as far back as I go. I am not in the covenant that Abraham was in. And the physical action of circumcision belonged to that covenant, but not to this one. And yet, just as in circumcision, blood being shed is very much a central part of this covenant. Luke chapter 22 and verse 20. It's the last hours, even minutes, if you like, leading up to the cross. Jesus is having what we now know as the Last Supper. And he said, likewise, it says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, some of you will know this, but some of you may not, that the Greek word that is translated as testament here is the same word that's translated in other places as covenant. A covenant and a testament are the same concept. And when you and I look at our Bibles, we see the New Testament we think of that, that's the, the second part of the Bible. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. The New part's the second part. And that's correct because it does contain that New Testament. It contains the new covenant that Jesus was talking about. It contains that new agreement that God has offered to humanity. And with a new covenant come new promises, new obligations, and new tokens. The blood being shed. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. Isaiah, Isaiah is a, one of the most prolific prophets in the Old Testament when it came to prophesying about the coming Messiah, about the coming of Jesus. And in five, verse 5 it says, But he was wounded, speaking prophetically about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. That means that the, he, he suffered because of my sins, the things that I did wrong. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So in this new covenant, it's not my blood that is shed, but it's his. 
that was shed for us. Amen. You and I weren't born into Jewish families, but Jesus told us that we needed to be born again. John chapter 3. Some of you can quote this. John 3, verses 3 to 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the contract. This is not negotiable. This is part of the deal. Nicodemus, in his natural thinking, said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, this is, this is absolute. There's cannot. There's, there's not may not or possibly. It's, it's absolute. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is one of the terms of the new, con- new covenant, the new contract, the New Testament. And in that fifth verse, he lets us know that water would be involved. Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when they said to him, What shall we do? He said, Repent. Remember, that's why John the Baptist was born, to preach a message of repentance. This is what you have to do. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we were told in John that water was involved. Now here in Acts chapter 2 and also in Luke 24 and Matthew 28 and a bunch of other verses that fail my brain, it tells us that there is a name that is involved. Keeping in mind what happened at circumcision. We've got water here and we've got a name that is involved. Why does the name matter? To the Jew, it mattered because it connected them to Abraham. But we're not Jews. So why does the name matter? Colossians chapter 2, starting to read at verse 10. says, And you are complete in him, him being Jesus, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom, or in Jesus also, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins... And the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's talking about a previous condition. We were dead in our sins. We were uncircumcised. That was our previous state. But he has quickened us together. He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Amen. So this passage in Colossians, I'm going to try and put all this together hopefully and If it doesn't make sense, come see me afterwards and I'll try and do a better job. But this passage in Colossians is talking to us about a circumcision that is not physical. Paul said it's made without hands. It's not a physical procedure that is involved. Then he connects that thought with being baptized or buried with Christ. He puts the two together. Amen. And it's very important we understand this. 
Because in the Old Testament, circumcision did what? It identified my heritage. It told me who my father was. It brought me into a covenant relationship with God himself and the promises of that covenant. Now in the, in the new covenant over here that Jeremiah talked to us about, we're not physically circumcised, but we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There is there an entering into a new covenant and there is a name that we are given. It's not John Bar Zacharias or Simon Bar David. But when you are born again of water and spirit, you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You become whatever your first name is, Bar Jesus. Now, you don't have to be a Jew, but you become a son of God. That same concept is, is underlined in Romans chapter 8 and 15, where Paul said, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, which is a reference to the old covenant, the Old Testament. But he's saying in this new covenant, new contract, new agreement, new arrangement, you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba being the Greek for father in an intimate sense, like we would say daddy or papa. Because otherwise it's just saying father, father, and Paul didn't have a stutter. But he was, he, was, he was wanting to communicate to us the intimacy that we have with God when he fills us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We were not Jews, but when we are born again of water and spirit, his spirit adopts us. We become his children and the Holy Ghost in us says he is my father. And we take on his name when we are buried with him in baptism. This matters. It matters. Because in the Old Testament, if you go back, and I don't want to get off track, I could. one of the hardest things about preparing this lesson was what to leave out. <laughs> but when you go back to the book of Exodus, God institutes the Passover. He says to the Israelites on this particular day, You've got to take this lamb. It's got, to be the, it's got to be pure, without spot, without blemish. You've got to kill that lamb, that innocent little animal. You've got to put its blood on your houses. And then you've got to stand in the house dressed, your feet, shoes on your feet, ready to go when the shout comes. And we know that was part of their literal deliverance from Egypt. But as a part of that, they were told that every year on the same date, they had to have that same feast as a memorial to remember what God did for them. Now, we know, if you understand Scripture at all, you know that that was looking ahead to the cross. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus replaced the Lamb. His blood replaced its blood. And what we now call communion, or the table of the Lord, replaced the practice of the Passover. And in the Old Testament, you could not keep the Passover if you were not circumcised. Study it out. You'll see even people that weren't Jews that had come in as proselytes that had taken on the Jewish faith, if they were going to keep the Passover, they had to have the token of the covenant. They had to have that which sealed them as a part of God's people. And we have communion today. Communion doesn't save us from our sins. Communion is a memorial, just like the Passover was their way of remembering that day and that night in Egypt when they were delivered. When you and I take communion, we take those things that represent what Jesus did on the cross. But that memorial 
if I can say this without being disrespectful, that memorial is worthless if you're not spiritually circumcised, if you don't have the blood and the name and the Spirit of God because you're trying to remember something you haven't experienced. Taking the Passover and not being in the covenant would have been a complete waste of time. And as much as communion is holy and it's precious, taking it without being in the new covenant is pointless. Because we've got to have the blood. We've got to have the name as a part of the new covenant. Just like they told the, the Jews, if you don't, if you're not circumcised, you're cut off. If you're not baptized in Jesus' name, which Paul told us was the New Testament equivalent of circumcision in the Old Testament, you're cut off. This is why we preach baptism in Jesus' name, because it is necessary. We've got to have our Father's name. We're preaching about in the name of the Father. What did Jesus say? He said, I am come in my Father's name. Hebrews chapter 1, I think it's about verse 4. It's not on the slides. It says that he has obtained a more excellent name by inheritance. The name of Jesus is the revealed saving name of God himself. It's that name that is the token of the covenant that we are have the opportunity to as many as received him. If you've received him this morning, you've entered into that covenant. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, he's still saying, if you'll receive me, I shed my blood. I paid the price. I promise you when that little Jewish boy was circumcised, he cried out. There was a sound that came in that process in the Old Testament. Without being too graphic, something was cut off. Blood was shed. An infant cried out and he received his father's name. When you and I are born again, there's blood that was shed. And on old rugged cross, we sang about it this morning. When I think about what he did on that cross, blood was shed. When you repent of your sins, there's a cutting off. That's not who I am anymore. There's a name that's applied when we're baptized in Jesus' name. We take on the family name. I can't trace myself to... Judah or Simeon or Levi or any of the other nine. I I can't trace that lineage. But Jesus said through the apostle Paul in Corinthians, he said, if you will come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean things, I will be a father unto you and you shall be my children. John chapter 14, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. Greek word is orphanos. He said, I will not leave you without a father. You will be my children. Book of Psalms tells us that he sets the solitary in families. He wants to be our father. He wants us to bear his name. He wants us to have the power and the authority of that name in our lives. Stand with me if you would this morning. and Just lift your hands and worship him. Let me tell you something. And I'm not throwing rocks at anybody here, but there are some people that believe that baptism is a ceremony for joining a church. You don't join a church, you join a family. I believe it's just about joining a church. Some people believe it's just a public declaration of faith. The cliche is that it's an outward sign of an inward change. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the forgiveness, the washing away of our sins. That because he died for me, there's no value in me shedding my own blood. But because he died for me and because he was wounded for my transgressions, he was bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I can be healed. Because he did that, he said there's a new covenant. Just like he met with Abraham. He meets with us. We're not walking on our inheritance. The Lord said to Abraham, the land that you're in right now, that you're a stranger in, he said, I'm going to give you this. This is the promised land. And we know that it took a few hundred years, but eventually Moses and then Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. You know what had to happen? when Look at the book of Joshua. When they came to the Jordan, before they crossed the river, the Lord said to Joshua, take all the men that haven't been circumcised and circumcise them. They've got to be ready to go in. We're not going to a location on the map. You can't find the New Jerusalem with Google Maps. It's not there. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's coming for his children. I said, he's coming back for his children. How do you know you're his child? Have you got the family name? Have you got the name? Have you been baptized with Christ? Buried with him in baptism? Gone through that circumcision made without hands? Has there been that cry of a newborn child as you say, Abba, Father, by the power of the Holy Ghost? That's what the Bible says. Hallelujah. I wonder if we would just lift our hands this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I worship you. I worship you, Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Katarabakatashataya. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. If I could have a musician, please, Sister Stanker. Just listen to me for one more minute. You need to understand when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you didn't just join a church or tick a box. You're entering into a covenant with Jesus Christ. You're entering into an agreement that are expectations. The Lord said to Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. Didn't mean that he never made a mistake. Meant that he had to live the way God wanted him to live. That's why Colossians said that we are complete in him 
don't treat your baptism lightly. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, don't think, well, oh, you know, I've ticked that box and just carry on. You've, ent- you've stepped into a covenant with God himself. Hallelujah. We're going to worship the Lord in a moment. I didn't, didn't plan on having an altar call this morning, but I feel the Holy Ghost. If you need to make a decision about where your covenant's at this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to talk to you if you'd like to talk to us. If you don't want to come and pray, we can talk to you after the service. But the invitation that was given in John 1 to as many as received him is still open. (laughs) It's still there. He's still saying, if you will, I can make you my child. I can give you the family. It doesn't matter what your own. I know some of us have got family backgrounds that are horrendous. None of that matters. You're not Jewish. <laughs> He's our father. That's what matters. You might be ashamed of your family name. Change it. Become a child of God today. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. As we worship him, I'm going to open this altar. If you want to come and say, God. Maybe you've been baptized a long time ago. Maybe you've treated it a bit lightly. Maybe you need to come and say, God, help me to treat this covenant with the honor and the respect that it deserves, not to carry it lightly, to live in a fashion that honors my Father. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Hallelujah.